Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts helping you produce performance on purpose. For more information, go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So today I'm talking to Jackie Rainford and um, I'm very much looking forward to this. Jackie, hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much, Russell. And we're near neighbours, you're in Portsmouth, I'm near Portsmouth and I'm near Southampton. We shouldn't, yes. we shouldn't say that in case football supporters hear us, but um, <laughs> how is how's it down there today? It's beautiful, beautiful blue sky, sunshine and uh, the trees are blowing gently outside. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to today because I know you know one of my colleagues and um, we've had a chat as well and I'm, I'm sure that this conversation is going to add real practical value for people. So I'm very much looking forward to our chat. So thank you very much, first of all. That's all right. Okay. So um, tell me, tell me what, what is it you do? How would you describe what you do to another person? Um, well, I suppose I've got a good elevator pitch of, of, um, of Pat now. Um, I'm a learning and development consultant and I'm a coach um, I tend to do coaching for career development and management training, and I work with a variety of customers. I also do training courses, write learning strategies for companies if they're in a bit of a fix, um, produce board games if they're required, um, and also go into companies to do coaching with individuals in companies companies as well as doing private coaching from home with private clients. So how would you describe coaching to someone that doesn't know much about it? Uh, Very simply for me, it's some, normally when someone wants coaching, they come because they're stuck in some shape or form. So people normally say, I'm either stuck in a rut or I don't know what to do or my mum and dad have suggested that I come and see someone because they're fed up with the fact I haven't got a job and I'm not doing anything. Or So it's normally that people have sort of got a massive case of indigestion. They don't know which way to go. Um, and so for me, it's getting, helping that person to move from where they are now to where they want to be. Now, you're probably saying, well, some people don't even know where they want to be. So part of the process is actually to find out about them. And I use something called Strengths Finder to find out what their natural talents are and then help them to reach a decision about where they could be and how they could get there. So it's it for me, it's coaching is moving a person from where they currently are to where they want to be. It's a it's a process. So that's, that's collaborative so, process. So that's really interesting because obviously resilience involves people knowing themselves and managing themselves well. Yeah. And and but you're sort of so that's the sort of the what. But you're very much talking about the how, aren't you? The so what will you do and how will that work for you in a sense? Is that is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, some of the people I coach, I would say, are incredibly resilient and. And, you know, part of the coaching process is to obviously find out what's gone before. And I do that by asking people about their timeline. And some people have had terrific challenges to face in their lives. 
but they're not presenting in front of me as someone that's completely lacking confidence and resilience and like they're a broken person. A lot of people are very capable. They just don't know what to do with that capability. They don't, you know, they know that they've got some qualities and some capabilities, but are not sure where to go next with it. Or perhaps people have criticised them and they they feel it's been a bit unfair and want to understand why people have said that to them. Yeah. And that and that's interesting, isn't it? Because it is amazing how uh, a criticism or, or, or a negative thing that's happened in someone's past can can live with them for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have this sort of famous thing that I use as tr- to create a picture in people's minds and I you know I don't know if you were a cub but I was a brownie and I say to people it's it's some people in their life everything bad or everything difficult that happens to them they suddenly say right I'm going to stitch that onto my arm as a badge and that badge is going to stay there for my life and so it then becomes something that's very visible and evident to everyone they have contact with Whereas other people don't actually let things define them. You know, they don't wear it as a badge. Uh, we've all had things to deal with in our lives, and, and some people seem to not be able to move on from them. You know, they're, they're still there, yes. weathering the storm, so to speak. Yes, and it's interesting, isn't it? So people get stuck in the drama of their experience. And well, of, ex- yeah, experiences in a lot of cases, yes. not just one. And people realise, and I think what happens is you, you begin to identify with the emotional content of the event, and real, rather than realising, a lot of the time is is actually about what you think, not what you feel, and therefore yeah. it's possible to change it. But yeah. people are making choices every day to re- to stay yeah. in, in in the difficult zone for whatever reason. So you yeah. know, part I, part part of coaching is to help them out of that, isn't that? I guess. Yeah, no, part absolutely part of that. I mean, I, I, I'm not betraying any confidence if I talk about one young man that I coached, and um, he was very capable in his job, well, very well thought of, but he had a real issue with attending meetings, and he felt that was holding him back, and he wasn't going to get a promotion because it was holding him back, and. The thing that was holding him back is that he thought every time he spoke, people were actually thinking critical things of him. Right. Or thinking, well, he's not very good, is he? Or, or he's mumbling, or that was rubbish what he's just said, and so on. And it came from something that had happened in a relationship he'd had. Um, and he believed all the things he'd been told, and therefore it changed his behaviour. So, so what we did through the coaching is I sort of, we talked about situations and I, I, I gave him feedback on what he was saying to me and, and said when he said something really quite profound, I said, well, that was amazing and, and gave positive feedback. And then I said, right, now you need to practice that by saying something small in a meeting at your next meeting you go to. Watch the responses of people. Don't become so preoccupied with yourself. You're not looking at other people's response. And, of course, what he learned was is... When someone speaks, most people want them to succeed. They don't want them to fail. They don't want to laugh at them. They want them to succeed. Yeah, and it's interesting. You can get caught up with your own perception of the world, can't you? So, yeah. easy, so easily. It's very, very yeah. hard, very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, someone sort of said to me about 
my style of coaching and I talk a lot to people who are senior managers or HR people or, or teachers and I said it's what I call and I've seen this written about recently actually and I've been using it for about 20 years the Wizard of Oz syndrome that right. when you're a manager or you're a leader or you're an HR person a coach or even a speaker like yourself in terms of you know you want to get the message out about resilience you're considered to have some sort of power, like the Wizard of Oz. But, of course, he was just a man with a microphone behind a screen, if you watch the old film. But the people that went to see him believed he had the power to change things. And I think if you engender trust and confidence in the people you're dealing with, then they suddenly start changing their own beliefs. Yes. And that's what coaching can help people do. If they trust you and build rapport with you, then they think, do you know, I trust her and I actually accept what she's saying and it's different from what that other person said to me. Yeah. And, and I think, and I don't just say it for the sake of it. I only say, obviously, if I, if I feel things or give feedback in what I feel. Um, and it sounds like my coaching is directed by what I'm saying. It's not. I just give feedback on what people are saying. So, uh, yeah. and it's just giving people the example to just go and learn something different about their behaviour. Yeah. And, you know, it's the greatest gift of all is learning to learn, isn't it? And, yes. And, yeah. and if, you can, if, you can, if you can help change someone's attitude and, I mean, that's that you're teaching them, well, you're not teaching them, you're coaching them in a life skill that's going to have a, an utterly profound effect for the rest of their lives. Yeah, well, the young young gentleman I was talking about has actually moved up two positions in his in his job in his career. Yeah. Um, since he realised actually, it's quite good to talk at meetings and present at meetings and get a good response, and you know you can actually get a rush of endorphins from doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Very true. So and it was quite quite profound the effect uh, had on him. Brilliant. So, so I know we were chatting earlier about resilience, and you were you were you were musing, I think, on what resilience is and your own levels of resilience. So I was just interested in your your thinking about that. My thinking, what about my own personal resilience? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, in preparation for this discussion, I thought, right, okay, because I get my clients to do this, I get them to do a timeline of the highs and lows and things that have not been so good and things have gone really well throughout their life. So I thought, oh, well, I'm going to sit and do mine again. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've actually had quite a few challenges that I've faced. You know, I, I was quite poorly as a child. I had epilepsy. Um, and then that meant that my parents didn't want me to do a lot of things as a teenager because they were obviously incredibly yeah. protective of Worried. me. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I suffered with anxiety when I was doing my A-levels and that, you know, through my 20s and 30s reared its head again. But I, I was thinking, you know, that but I, people don't, a lot of people that know me don't even know that I've had those things. Yes. Um, and, you know, I know, I, some people I know know me really well and if they listen to this, they'd be thinking... I didn't know she had anxiety yeah. because it, you know, it goes back to these badges that I don't wear it like a badge on my sleeve. Yes. And you know, okay, I might have inner thoughts of concern or worry, um, but you know, I've I've worked through those, and I think I'm stronger because of it. Yes. 
yeah I've had and I've had other things happen as well you know as we all have I'm sure but uh, yeah you just sort of you you find a way to work through it and and I do believe you become stronger because of it and I think and I think that's I think you've hit the nail on a, on your head in a way here because I think a lot of people use a strategy of avoidance yeah. when a problem comes and therefore they don't l learn to deal with something so for in management terms you have managers who are frightened of conflict they never deal with the conflict yeah. and then when the con when any form of mild conflict comes it becomes a you know almost hysterical process yeah. dealing with it whereas yeah. people that are used to dealing with it know the risk of conflict and manage it properly it's yeah. like uh, it's like parents and you know looking at risk for kids these days you know they don't they don't seem to go out everywhere everyone's hysterical about risk which you know and and you have to learn to deal you have to learn to deal with the world to build your resilience it, because it comes from the, it comes from doing it doesn't it it doesn't come from talking or thinking about it no no and actually you know I'm I'm in my fifties and I know people who are in the fifties who who bless them have, have had not really any challenges to deal with in yeah. life yeah and I sort of think gosh if something bad happens yeah. What what tools or equipment have they got to help them to deal with that? Well, there's no experience to draw on, is there? That's no, a real problem. No, and um, you know they're fortunate in that you know they haven't had those things. And you know if we were talking, of course we wouldn't be talking on the internet if it was hundred years ago. But you know we would have both experienced a lot of death in our families because yes. children didn't survive even fifty years ago. You know, life expectancy was a lot lower. You know, we'd be used to going to funerals. We would be used to dealing with, you know, very poor health. Yes. Um, whereas now, you know, people do get to their 50s and they've not been to a funeral. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's good in terms of health changes. But um, life, I don't know. You know, it can completely prolapse people, I think. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a strategy of avoidance is a strategy. But it's yeah. but it's like old strategies. It has pros and cons, and sometimes yeah. sometimes it's appropriate to, to go into avoidance mode. But um, you know, sometimes you need to protect yourself, and running away is fine. Um, but well, sometimes, I mean, it, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. You. No, I was going to say sometimes sometimes you have to turn up, don't you? You just have to you you have to front it up. Whether you made it, um, you know, whether you made a terrible mistake, whether there's a problem with the customer, whether there's whatever it might be. Sometimes yeah. you just have to you have to be stoic. Take it on the chin and deal with it. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I would, in lots of situations, I think I'm I'm calm and and quite composed. I'm not, you know, I don't I don't have highs and lows, but my inner dialogue. Yes. You know, when I mentioned about my anxiety, uh, there were times where I actually avoided doing things because yes. I knew the feeling of panic was, you know awful yes and you know anyone listening who's had those feelings will know that you it is literally like you well it is of course the the, the fight and flight you you want to go yes. you want to disappear and move away from whatever it is that's making you anxious but and but, but also on, that, what are you going to say yeah i was going to say well the third bit of that thing fight and flight is freeze isn't it and yeah it is interesting how anxiety just makes you freeze and and fear does as well. And sometimes just taking any sort of action can be good, but yeah. but it's but there's a there's a problem here, isn't it? It's like the the process itself robs you of your ability to do stuff. Yeah. And yet, what you need to do is do stuff. 
yeah. and it, and it's it's also it's like you say you have to know yourself well enough to look after yourself in those moments don't you yeah oh yeah definitely and uh, you know so many people that i coach now have got uh, you know insecurities phobias anxiety you know real lack of confidence yeah. uh, you know, if they've had marriage breakups which i have as well incidentally you know people have really suffered from all sorts of things um but you know i hopefully because i've felt it it doesn't take me back myself but i can empathize with the person because i know that you how it feels but you actually can come through it and move on it doesn't again it doesn't mm. have to define you uh, well it's really it's you know sorry for people listening to this and thinking we're just having a lovely time agreeing with each other but I think we are really and I yeah. think I think we're finding this big problem aren't we in psychology as time rolls on about the incidence of and the rise of mental health issues and such like and 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 I just wonder, wonder whether we have I mean like four fifty years ago we had something comparative to look at our issues you know yeah. we had a war going on outside the door whatever it might be and yeah. now we've got these terrible mental health issues because we almost don't have anything comparative so you know, are we are we are we destroying our brain's capacities because we're not putting ourselves under the right sort of challenge? We're not we're not facing the risks that which are, are there. We're not That's you know really not doing what you said. Is you're not dealing with that anxiety that you have to deal with. You know, you it's, it's it's an interesting challenge, isn't it? It is an interesting challenge. Perhaps we're too secure. And you know, I mentioned a, a little while ago that you know, 50, 60 years ago, we would have been to a lot more funerals yeah. now and and dealt with very severe illness and and so on. Um, you know, and perhaps we are desensitised to things, um, and therefore we're not having to face really. I mean, although you know, we're sitting here probably in our nice houses, and there are a lot of people in this country having to face Correct. very serious serious challenges at the moment but you know when whatever your challenge is when you're going through it it feels like you're the only person going through yes. it I know when I was having panic attacks that I thought I knew that other people were but for me it was like oh my goodness this isn't me why is this happening yes and so, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a moot point where other people say to you, oh, pull yourself together, that's such a trivial problem. And actually, that's exactly the wrong approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. My dear dad, who's passed away, unfortunately, he did. when I told him that they'd reared their head again, mm. he went, oh, he said, just snap out of it. Yes. And I just sort of looked at him, and I didn't, I didn't say anything, but I just thought, if only it was so easy. Yes, don't you think I would have tried that one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, I don't want this whole com conversation to be dictated by that because there are other things that have happened. But you know, I've been incredibly resilient about. I mean, when I was, um, you know, when I was writing my timeline, I thought, wow, you know, when I was in twenty three, I left home, uh, lived in a hotel for six months in Norfolk. I was brought up in London, right. and then bought my first flat, lived on my own, didn't know anyone. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, I'd obviously had these teenage years where I was a bit protected. And, then, you know, I was one of four children as well. And suddenly I decided, no, I can do it. I'm going on my own. I'm moving away, living in a hotel and then buying a flat, you know, 150 miles from home. Yeah. So there was something probably in my upbringing as well that said, no, I can do this. 
I can, you know, and my positive, people have always said you've got a sunny outlook, you're very positive, and perhaps my positivity and all of that was saying, no, you can, you know, I've got this internal fight, I can't, I don't think I can, no, you can, and in the end, at 23, I thought, yep, no, I can, I can do this, and I was excited by the challenge of the job, so, yeah. Well, that's it, because resilience comes from the high points in your life, not just the low points. And I think people yeah. people see resilience as a negative thing, but it's not. No. It's I mean, and in the good points, you're sort of, you know, you're, you're sort of watering the garden for when things get tougher. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to appreciate the upside. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I think someone said to me once, you've got to appreciate the highs to appreciate, really properly appreciate the lows, and vice versa. Or you can, if we're using as um, examples, you can put money into the bank account. Yeah, great. That's great. Yeah. And you can make withdrawals then when things aren't quite so good, and you, you're not, hopefully not going to go into the black into the red too much. Um, Jackie, you've been reading our model again, haven't you? <laughs> oh no, I haven't. <laughs> no, that's I've right. used, I've used lot the of, bank spent... account model lots of times. Yeah, you every... must have read something I've written. No, that, that'll be it. That'll be it. No, I think. We'll, yeah. we... <laughs> It's such a good analogy, isn't it, the emotional balance? Yeah, no, it is. Mm. Yeah, and it's, I think it's true in a lot of things. It's about work and it's about relationships, you know, yeah. and friendships. Quite often you'll hear two friends sort of saying, oh, I'm always passing my woes on to you. And the other friend says, no, it's okay. Well, actually, it's okay for a certain period. But after a year or two years, that mm. other friend's going to say, can I make some, you know, deposits in your bank account, so to speak? Yeah. Um, so you, I think you can't sustain it forever, but, you you know, it's... Um, We've got to find become, out. You've got to build your resources and you build your capability yeah. yourself, but also around you. I, I, I was interested to know, because I, I know we talked um, that you um, have some association with one of my favourite shops, which is John Lewis. I just wondered how much that working in a place like that... Uh, helped shape you, or, or you were uh, allowed yourself to be shaped by something like that approach, working for something like that? Completely. In I would say completely. In what way? Um, I've got a bit of an echo in here, actually, Russell. Have you? You're an echo, yeah. You're, 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 you're showing off again, because I haven't got an echo. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's so profound what I'm saying that we're getting. I'm getting some feedback on it. Both of you. Both um, of you are, t- are talking. Probably listening in, thinking, "Oh, someone's talking about us." We'll put it in the press. Yes. <laughs> they like their like their good quotes completely. I mean, obviously, the John Lewis of today is is different from the organisation I joined because we're talking about. Mm, God, oh, well over thirty years ago, I joined John Lewis. Sure. Um. But I just think because it's very, you know, nurturing, um, a developing type of environment, empowering Mm -hmm. because you are a partner in the business and you're made to feel that your voice counts. Yeah. Um, I obviously had the confidence, I don't know how, but to participate in the democratic procedures for John Lewis. So they have councils and committees. And I represented, I, I started off in John Lewis Brent Cross, which is a big store. Oh, I would know it well, yeah. Yeah, and I represented John Lewis Brent Cross um, with a couple of other people at, at the Partnerships Council, which is the company council, which is a bit like Parliament. So right. we were like the MPs for that store. Wow. Um, and you debate all sorts of things. And 
I was incredibly confident to stand up and speak. I don't know how I did it, actually. Perhaps being head girl is what helped. Yes. Um, and then I was chairman of the Pay and Benefits Committee. Right. Um, where we analysed the pay details and we commented on uh, pay rates. We were looking at men's and females' pay rates way back right. there and how they compared mm. um, with other retailers and so on. So I think all of that experience and being given my voice uh, or allowed to, to give my voice at a young age, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely was my best possible development. You've Far better t- than going to university. Yeah, then we'll come back to that. But it's also that you've given one of the three bits of the recipe of being a good leader there. So nurturing, empowering, and making sure that people in your team's voices count. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, any good leaders out there will be doing those three things on a regular basis. They'll be doing other things as well, but it's, yeah. those things matter, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the training scheme we were on when I joined meant that we attended training courses and it was all about, you know, people talk about the culture of an organisation now and the the values and um, employee engagement and all the rest of it. Well, John Lewis would do, I mean, John Lewis was doing that since, you know, Speed and Lewis instigated the partnership. But, um, yeah, it's a a culture. It's a complete culture that... uh, I mean, it's a very big organisation now, um, and I, I, they, they're certainly working at achieving that, but it was a much smaller organisation that I joined. Yes. Um, and it, yeah, it completely shaped me and developed me, so much so that when I left, applied to leave, or left, wanted to leave John Lewis and applied to other people for jobs, um, being q actually turned me down because I was too entrenched in the partnership ways. Ah, interesting. It was interesting. I mean, they didn't interview me. They just said, no, 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 she's been at John Lewis for too long, 15 years. Oh, she was too entrenched in John Lewis ways. Wow. And again, that you know, that was a long time ago. In being Q's history, I, you know, I know that they don't think that now, because I've ironically worked with them as a consultant since then. But um, so, yes, yeah, so... At the time, it wasn't, I don't think John Lewis is heralded as being, wow, you know, they're ahead of the game, what a great organisation. They were sort of very conservative and, you know, this is the way John that we have it, it's not the way we do it, you know. Yes. Whereas I think they're quite a different organisation now. They're, they're trailblazing yes. in well, a lot of cases. It's interesting then you talk about culture because it, at work, uh, I have one or two clients where they have very little change. And they have very um, rigid cultures. Yeah. And, uh, you know, any tiny thing sets off like a chain reaction of, his, of um, well, I wanted to say hysteria. I suppose I mean it in a way. And I also have other clients where the change is just such a normal part of life yeah. that actually, you know, the culture's just, it's almost the reverse. It's that, oh, we haven't changed anything this week. You know, what's happened? You know, where's, yeah. where's our latest change gone? And it's almost like people are making changes almost for the sake of it because you become the people who have become junkies at it. And and of course we know which is the most resilient culture there, you know. So it's 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 fascinating how 
you know, culture is just the sum total of people working there. So people's personal resilience does have an effect on the culture of the organisation and vice versa, because oh, an organisation can create people absolutely. who's... Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I recently ran an inspirational leadership course and I was talking to someone and we were talking about communication yeah. and about organisations and communication. And I said, you know, there's, there's a good analogy in the bathroom communication. So... You can have organisations where all of the communication and ideas come from the top, which is the shower. So if you're near the head of the shower, you get the full force of the warm water and you're with it and you're you're following what's happening. By the time it gets down to the bottom of the, the shower tray or the bath, it's dissipated, it's cold, and you wouldn't really get much more than a blob or a splash. Yeah. And therefore, you're not buying into what the organisation want. And then you have the bath communication, where every now and again, the bath gets full of nice warm water and everyone feels warm, safe, secure. This feels good, doesn't it? And of course, we all know if you leave the bath water in for too long, it gets cold, you know, a bit scummy with soak. And and it doesn't do any, any, and we get wrinkly skin as well. So it doesn't do anyone any good. So you've got to let the water out and then do it all again. So you're starting over every time you do something. For me, the best model, which is the one that you've just described from your latter client, is the jacuzzi model, where you actually fill it with water and you give it bursts every now and again. But, of course, you can't do it for too long because you get a bit lightheaded, so you have to turn the jets off. Yeah. And I think that's the best analogy, that you have it bubbling all over. Yes. Yes, organisations are you know, wanging on all the time about leading agile cultures and at the same time making it so hard, you know, not trusting their people to yeah. to have ideas or have their voice heard, you know, yeah. and, and then being no. surprised. You know. yeah, and often because yeah. they terrify the conflict and so they terrify the disagreement and it goes back to where we were earlier, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And well, it is about trust and about confidence and managers having confidence in their ability and their ability to be able to answer challenges. So, so confidence and resilience often go quite closely together. Do you think you can learn to be confident? Uh, can you learn to be confident? See, some people think that confidence is displayed outwardly. So I've had people come to see me and they've said, my managers criticised me for not being very confident. And I said, can you just describe to me what, what you think confidence is? And normally they say, well, speaking up at meetings and making sure my voice is heard and being a little bit more physical when I'm doing a presentation and so on. So people tend to see confidence as something that comes outwardly. Right. Whereas I see is it can be quiet and it can be inner and it can be incredibly calming because if I'm with someone who's calm and has got this lovely quiet demeanor then it gives me confidence in them and I think yeah I'm gonna be all right whatever happens here Hmm. whereas people misread confidence you know because people sort of say to me oh you're confident because I'm reasonably happy to talk in social settings and so on but I recently ran a course where there was a guy and he sort of he'd been criticized for not speaking up enough and doing enough presentations but every time he spoke 
I thought, wow, that was a really good point and yeah. pertinent. But he spoke quietly and he was he had quite an intense look and I just thought, actually you're really powerful by being quiet, yeah. quietly confident. Yes, that's very, that's very interesting, separating the inner from the outer, because a lot of that is about knowing yourself and being comfortable with yourself. Yeah. And accepting yeah. yourself as you are. I mean, I know it's a bit of psychobabble sometimes when we say stuff like that, but it, but it really is true, isn't it? You have, to, you have to deal with what you are and who you are in order to move forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what knocks people's confidence is when someone else who perceives confidence to be loud and gregarious and you know, funny and telling stories that's that for me that's not confidence that's showmanship yes Con confidence is something I, you know I, I was coaching someone last week and he asked for some feedback because I've met him in another setting uh, on how he came across and I said to me you have this inner core of I'm okay. Yeah. And when you meet you, you sort of think he's happy in his skin. He's not overly confident. He's not um, sort of like you don't want to cringe and just walk away from when you're talking. I said you just have this inner confidence, this inner I'm okay. Whatever happens, I think I'll be okay. Yeah. How we're shaped. These days, often through a university background, but I'm as impressed by the fact that you said you didn't go to university and you know you went to the school of hard knocks pretty well straight away. And I wonder, I, I wouldn't wonder, say if it was hard knocks, well, you know what I mean, but I yeah, wonder yeah, whether, uh, yeah, in I, a manner, I yeah. just wonder whether kids, kids today, the kids today thing, I wonder whether people are, I wonder if we undervalue this sort of apprenticeship thing and you know, just getting into work and starting to. To engage with the real world. Definitely. Earlier. Definitely. I think that actually, I mean, I know Tony Blair sort of started off this thing of, like, we must get more 18-year-olds in university education. You know, we need to educate the, the nation. Wasn't it education, education, education? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, and yes, it's been, it's been great in terms of lifting the education, but but I think now we're making a bit of a rod for our own back as a, as a country because so many youngsters are coming out of university and they're not going to get graduate opportunities. Yeah. They're not going to get jobs that you need a degree to do. Um, and so they're starting off with a debt, not doing a job that is using their degree and, and also when you look at a lot of degree courses, you know, they're actually only doing, apart from the engineering and the, and the medical and the veterinary courses, um, they're only doing 10, 15 hours of study a week in, yeah. in lectures. Yeah, I know. And so they have all this time free to socialise and, and, okay, do some reading and work in the library, but many choose not to do that. And therefore, then, when they come out to work and the culture of work, they're not used to dealing with you know sitting at a desk or working and just having a very short break in the middle of the day and carrying on working and dealing with different age groups in teams um, I did have a bit of a debate with a mum once actually 
um, because her her daughter was sort of destined to do really well in her A-levels and we were talking about working part-time and my son has had paid jobs from the age of 14. He delivered leaflets at 14, 15 um, and then worked at B&Q and the cinema and all sorts of things. Yeah. And she was saying, well, I don't think my daughter needs to sit on a checkout at Tesco's, you know, to be able to go on to university. And I said, well, actually, I don't think that's the case because what she's actually getting are lots of other skills from doing that. That's right. You know, it's the teamwork, it's the communication skills, it's the dealing with the general public, which is the most difficult thing to do. Yeah. And I, unfortunately... Some, uh, you know, a head teacher at a school, uh, a private school, once said about um, affluential neglect or something. I yeah. Think I might have misquoted actually, but where parents who have got money, whose children don't need to work because the parents can afford perhaps to give them some money, mistakenly think that lots of social activities are going to be enough for their kids for the future. Yeah. In fact, actually, no, it's part time jobs and volunteering in. Proper volunteering, not sort of paid through a friend of a friend, but proper volunteering are the stuff that employers are looking for. Yeah. And, you know, taking it back to resilience as well, you know, if they're doing volunteering and they're seeing people who've got it tough, if they've got part-time jobs and they're seeing people that have got three part-time jobs just to pay the bills, yeah. they, they see actually, hey, you know, I'm really lucky. And I think that makes a big difference. But, you know, I know that some people wouldn't agree with me on that. But mm. It's I, perspective it's again, isn't important. it? Yeah. I think perspective is a, is a key thing in resilience. I think you have to, to know yourself, but you also have to be able to recognise other people and where they are as well. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a bit but like your own war analogy, isn't it? That's why we, we recognise that. We had a strong sense of purpose. We were all pulling yeah. together. And, and yeah. um and I think if you go to university, you'll see lots of um, you'll see lots of kids who have anxiety and such like being very badly looked after because yeah. sometimes the best way of dealing with those things is to is to tackle them in a very practical way, which is to get out and face it in the real world. You know, it's, and it's and it's 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 an interesting sort of challenge, though, isn't it? I just think one of the worst things for co- um, confidence is to is to is to be in a place which is horrible where you get no support. Where at least if you go to work, you're in a place that can be horrible, but you always get support, yeah. even if it's yeah. even if it's just even if it's um, financially motivated. At least there is support there. Yeah, no, it's a reason to get up and get out of bed and go and, and do it. And and also, as I say to people, when they say, "Oh, I, you know, I didn't feel very well today, so I took the day off," and I said, "Okay, so what are the implications for the team at work yeah. when you just take the day off?" What do you mean, they say? And I said, well, okay, so you've decided that you're not feeling too good, so you don't go into work. What happens at your place of work? I suppose someone has to cover me, don't they? And I went, yeah, and what's that other person got going on in their home? Mm. Um, And it's just learning about the implications of it. You know, the majority of kids or young people are great when they go out to work and have a sense of purpose. But I think part of what I was going to say to you when you were talking about university and actually getting out there, there are, you're right, a lot of people do suffer from anxiety when they're at university. It's the anxiety of the pressure mm. that they've put on themselves or perhaps from other people. Uh, but also it's because their minds aren't full of activity. Yeah. 
they've got too much time to think. And if they were, if it was a two-year degree course where they were packed to the gunnels with lectures and seeing tutors and doing activities, then perhaps it would be better. It yeah. would also be cheaper for them. Yeah, I think sandwich courses are the... And we, we know, neither of us, I don't think I'm making a moral point here. I mean, we recognise that people go to university and have a brilliant time. And, oh, gosh, yes. And people have apprentices oh, yeah, people have apprenticeships to, and have miserable times. No, yeah. I wouldn't want people to think that. Yeah. I'm not, you know... It's about how you make university help with your resilience yes. and apprenticeships. And you can have a miserable time in apprenticeships as well. But yeah. And I think it's it's that thing we were saying... Where you know you can put twenty people in the same room, give them the same life experiences. Some will come out positive, and some will come out not yeah. positive. With the with the negative badges, it's all down to that choice thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, most definitely. And you know, I would say that most of my friends have got degrees, so they would probably, if they listen to this, would be saying, "Well, thank you very much, Jackie. We went to your university." Yeah. And you know, I'm not against it at all. And you know, my son, if he was sitting here, said, "Well, Mum wanted me to go to university, but I persuaded her that you know I didn't need to." So, you know, and I coach people that are at university coming out of it, and so on. So I've seen it all. But I, but yeah, it's knowing where you're going. Is that I listen to an American podcast host who I think a lot of, and and he often talks that a lot of the time that kids are going to university because of the parents' vanity, but it's the kids that then carry out the. Um, carry the debt so yeah. it's okay to yeah. go to university for your parents families if they carry the debt but not the other way around no no that's absolutely true and I, I you know I was coaching a young man who has come out of university and I just mentally I was sort of thinking about my own son who's 19 and actually he's more um, together and more confident uh, my son is for having been out at work. Yeah. Um, and taking risks. Yeah, taking risks and making mistakes. Yeah, that's, that, you know, that's Making the key. mistakes that matter, you know, that are going to accompany something. Making mistakes is really important part of growing and growth and coming back to resilience. You make a mistake, oh, you feel bad, oh, my goodness. Mm. But actually, hopefully you learn to roll with it, you know, and think, right, okay, now I'll pick myself up and I don't make that mistake again. Yeah. I mean, that's that's and that's the most valuable thing you can learn about work, isn't it? That's what we want: continuous improvement at work and such like. Yeah. Um, so, Jackie, almost last question now. I, I want you to think about um, a time for you when you know it's gone wrong, whatever it yeah. might be, big mistake, problem in the issue of life, whatever it might be. What sort of strategies do you use then to sort of turn yourself around? Um, you know, there's sort of a couple of tips or techniques you could throw at us. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it was it was quite a, a life situation. It was um, when my marriage split up that, you know, I could see that it was going wrong. And um, I, I initially I thought, no, I've got to stick with this. Um, and then when it happened, I thought I can go two ways. I can either be, right, okay, this bad thing's happened, or I can think, I've got to try and make it work. And um, I mean, I'm very thankful to a dear friend because I actually ended up with a mortgage that was £703 a month and I was only bringing home about 980 Ah. Yeah, uh, because I bought my ex-husband out of the house. and um, But I just thought, you know, I'm going to go and speak to the bank manager. And he was great. These were the days where you spoke to your bank manager. Yeah. 
And he said, listen, thanks for coming to talk to us. We will give you a massive overdraft at the moment. And I said, look, I'm going to get a couple of pay increases and... um, I, my parents offered me money and I said, no, you know, I'm going to deal with this. Not a lot of money, I hasten to add, but you know, you're 20 pounds here and there. I said, no, I don't want to take any money. I've got to deal with this. So I just made, and and I'm not wanting to sound sanctimonious or anything. I somehow, I just said, look, I've, you know, I moved out of home. I bought my own flat. I did my own thing and I can do that again. So having done it once, I just thought, I can do it again. Yeah. And it's this, whatever happens, what I try to get back to is the place where I think, in the long run, it's it's just me and I've got to deal with this. And I then, my, my resilience kicks in. But I, what helps me is talking to people that I trust. Yes. And, and although I talk to lots of people... I only have one or two people that I that know me warts and all. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like to burden lots of people, but I have one or two friends who know me really well. And I suppose my strategies are talking to other people, thinking about it, and writing things down. Yeah. I always write down pros and cons yeah. when I'm making a decision about something. And then once I make a decision, I do everything I can to make that work. Well, they are. You actually almost described the recipe for resilience, which is you, 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 you analyze the situation, you make a choice, yeah, and then you stick to it, and you, yeah. and you bring bring a bit of stamina to bear, and you, you sort of get on with it, yeah, and you do what needs to be done, and you know you don't deviate, you don't sort of suddenly say, well, I'll, I'll not, I'll not go to work this week, I'll, I'll go, and, you know, faff, faff about somewhere. You no. just, have, you have to get on. You have to do the hard work, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not no, I'm, I'm not saying that it was pretty sometimes because yeah. I'm sure it wasn't. But I, you know, I didn't take one day off work. Yeah. Um, I might not have been present for part of the day if something happened. But you know, I didn't take one day off work, and I just thought I've got to make this work. And now I've got to pay that mortgage as well. Um, choices, yeah, all the choices, choices. absolutely choices, so, and uh, yeah. So, Jackie, I'm conscious of time running on. Uh, really appreciate your contribution. It's been a fantastic session. I really enjoyed this, and I'm hoping tons of people have got loads of inspiration from this. Thank you. I enjoyed How- it as well. Yeah, and I hope I, don't, I haven't come across as being a bit sanctimonious and, you know, I've got it all right, because I haven't. It, I'm still work in progress. I think we all are. I think that's the point of resilience, isn't it? It's not. It's yeah. not we're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming to, to, to deal with things. But how, yeah. can, how can people... How can people engage with you? How if they if they're desperate to come and be coached by you, Jackie? How uh-huh. how do they get in touch with you? Right. Okay. Well, they can um, find me on LinkedIn, and mm-hmm. um, my email address is on LinkedIn, so they can link in with me. Or uh, if they want to email me direct, well, we can we can, can we can put that link on our site too if you want, rather than giving. Yeah. You yeah. Hours. No, that yeah. that'd be great. I I do personal coaching from home and I'm based in Portsmouth um, but I do go out and travel out to com- companies and uh, I suppose within a sort of 150 mile radius I will go and do company coaching. And um, who knows maybe we're doing some of our online resilience coaching as well who knows? Well that, I have actually coped coached using Skype before it's very good. and that yeah. works. It does it is yeah. very it's very yeah. it's it's very interesting uh, dynamic coaching online, I think. Yeah. 
cheers. Jackie, you have been a trooper. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you haven't been too sanctimonious at all. I think it's been really, really useful. And um, um, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll speak very, very soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Resilience Unraveled helps you create performance on purpose. And you can find out more about us and resilience at qedod.com forward slash resilience. Or listen to more of our podcasts. You can also find out more about our courses, our webinars, and free resources like ebooks and paid for courses at qedod.com. Otherwise, we hope you can enjoy more of our podcasts in the future.